0: Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Stephen Julian, who is an independent financial advisor, as well as a radio and podcast host. I met Stephen through a mutual friend of mine, and he gave me some great advice when I started this podcast. I had a lot of questions, and he gave me a lot of good answers. He was also very gracious to offer to be a guest on my podcast to talk through his career journey. I have lots of questions for him today, and hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thanks for having me, Paul. Glad to be here. Yes. So... Uh, yeah, it was it was great to sit down with you at lunch. It's been almost a year ago. I had this this concept for this podcast. It was really more about trying to figure out how do you put a podcast together and what does that look like. So I appreciate your words of wisdom on tools and software and you know things to think about and all that. So it's been a really fun uh year for me. And I've Um, I, I didn't realize I'd have so much fun with this, but just talking to people like yourself and hearing about their career journey has been a lot of fun for me and a lot of fun for the listeners too. So let's kind of start from the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Tell me a little bit about your background.
1: Well, before I do that, I'm I'm always curious uh, as to how people see history. See, I remember that lunch, and I said, "Run and, and get away from this." But you know, eh, everybody's history is a little. object. Oh, no, I thought, "Run gonna...
0: with it." That's it. <laughs> oh man, well, yeah. and
1: and go. away we go.
0: That's right. Um, Fifty so, episodes in now, I'm, I'm I'm rethinking this. I'm stuck. That's um, right.
1: So uh so I so uh the the joke is uh I well you asked where I where I'm from. So anyway, I was born here in Georgia, uh born in Tucker, uh DeCab General baby. Um and Georgia native. Yeah, which was uh which was interesting. I, I stayed in Georgia all through school and college, and when I got out and started looking for my first job, I do remember people going, wow, you were born and raised here. We don't see many native Georgians here, yeah. which speaks to you know kind of growing up in Atlanta and all that. Um, so uh, born and raised here, the, the curious thing from my family is uh, everyone else in my family is from up north. Uh, My mom and dad, uh, dad was from Western Pennsylvania, mom was from Worcester, Mass, and they (laughs) met at uh, Nyack College in Nyack, New York. My two brothers and one sister, all older than me, were born in Nyack, and in 1970, my dad uh, took a job here in Atlanta and moved the family down south. Uh, My dad was a minister of music, which uh, your demographic uh, and your listeners would know that as a worship pastor. They used to be called ministers of music. Uh, and he, uh, took a, took a job with a church down here. Um, back then as a minister of music, you, you didn't earn enough to do that only. So he was a school teacher who taught music. Uh, and my mom was a school teacher. So I come from a family of teachers, uh, and grew up in Tucker, Georgia, uh, uh-huh. right between North Lake mall and <clears throat> North DeCab mall, literally almost right between those two is where I grew up.
0: Wow. So did you go to, uh, was it Tucker High School?
1: I would have gone to Shamrock, um, Shamrock. Okay. But, uh, but I didn't because where my mom and dad taught was at a uh, Christian school. So I grew up as a Christian school kid from the, uh, who was also the son of a music minister. So one Gosh. of my jokes is that uh, I have lived my adult life as a recovering Pharisee um, <laughs> because if you grow up in church and in Christian school, uh, you you just learn how to hide your sin better um, <laughs> and uh, so so I grew up going to a small school called the christian academy okay uh, it is no longer in existence uh, but uh, in just kind of right on the nortured hills road area and went there k through um, 12 which the 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 worst part about that is kind of what I shared I, I grew up learning how to be a, a, a real pharisee but the best part about that was a school that size gave me a lot of opportunity to try a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I would never have played sports in school if I didn't go to a small Christian school. Yeah. Um, I, I also found uh, things like drama through going to a small school like that, got to be in a few plays and, and kind of found that I really, really enjoyed that Uh, and got to do, uh, you know got to do some other things through school that I I wouldn't have been able to do probably my favorite memory of school was being a teacher's kid uh, all the teachers kids had a whole different experience at school because the week before school started and the week after school ended was parent was teacher work days and teacher kind of prep and then also tear down mm-hmm. well all the all the kids would come to the school and we would uh help the teachers you know teachers would pay us and y'all got put
0: to work right
1: yeah but they would pay us and so at lunch we would leave the school and walk down to uh the burger king at toco hills and there was also an arcade there so we would work in the morning and then in the afternoon while they were finishing up we would go to the arcade Um, (laughs) so i've already made a ball reference and an arcade reference everybody kind of knows my age at this yeah yeah was it the gold Um, mine at north lake no, well, I did go to the gold mine. This uh-huh. was the, this was the arcade at Toco Hills right next to famous pub. Okay. Um, and uh, it didn't last too long uh, after my high school years, but it was there during my formidable years uh, uh, when I, when we would do that, you know, pre and post planning. And the other cool thing about our school for the teacher's kids was there was a pond uh, right behind our school. And so, you know, you do some work and then uh, I got introduced to fishing and, And, you know, just other cool stuff, just hanging out with teacher kids and uh, getting in trouble and and loving life. So,
0: yeah, that's cool. So I got to ask, right, if if um, if your dad was a minister of music, did you also um, follow down the music path? Did you play anything in in school?
1: Yeah. So uh, so one of the things that I learned uh, that I didn't realize until after I had grown up uh, and, and got out of school was that I have very little hand-eye coordination, and the reason I know that is because being the son of a, a music minister who was a piano player, he was not a singer, uh, he was a, a composer and and could uh, arrange music, but also directed choir and he taught piano. He was a he was a brilliant piano player and um, taught piano. I took seven years of piano lessons. Wow, um, and. Uh, it wasn't until at seven years, about four, year age 14, I'm going to a recital and I'm listening to all these other 14-year-olds and some of them have been playing only three or four or five years. And I'm like, I'm not any good at this. So <laughs> I, I went to my dad and I was like, I, I think I'm tapping out. I said, I just, I, I I've gotten about as far as I can go. It gave me a great base in theory of music. Um, mm-hmm. it allowed me to do other things. I played handbells. I, I did trumpet for two years with my aunt who was the band instructor at our school. Um, uh, so I did trumpet for a couple years and, and can kind of carry a tune and can kind of, I have a little bit of uh, musical knowledge, but mm-hmm. um, I took seven years of piano, realized I wasn't any good at it. And I didn't. And my favorite love as far as sports went was baseball. And the older I got in baseball, once I got to 13, 14, 15, I started realizing I'm not really good at it, even though I love it. <laughs> and I looked back and was like, it's all hand-eye coordination. Um, yeah, yeah. In my adult life with my kids I ended up coaching a lot of baseball and I I know everything about the game. I love the game. I can see
0: things. Yeah. I just
1: can't I just can't do them.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know like you I'm a huge sports fan. I uh, played played baseball from an early age and then like you said when you get to be and and I love football and when you get to be about 11, 12, 13 puberty kicks in and some of these boys turn into men like overnight. That bar comes in really fast. I'm telling you what, you know, and you're just like, how is this guy? Like, he's got a beard. He's 14. What's going on? (laughs) You know, and I'm like 80 pounds soaking wet, you know, that's about four foot eight. And uh yeah, I just realized that I don't think I'm gonna be going into the major leagues or into the NFL anytime soon. So well,
1: I, and here I was fourteen, fifteen, and I was I was studying Charlie Lau, who taught George Brett to hit yep. the way he did, and I was mm-hmm. studying Wade Boggs and I, I had it all I had I knew what I wanted to do. I just wasn't executing and I was and I realized, oh, my hand eye coordination stinks. I, yeah. I know what I wanna do. My hands just don't get to the ball. So
0: well, and you know, a lot of people that, that are not like, you know, Michael Jordan caliber, um, aren't very good coaches, but like you said, if you're a student of the game and you've had to figure out how to adjust and do different things, a lot of times they turn out to be really the best coaches cause they've got, they've had to compensate for what lack of raw physical skills or talent um, sure. and try to find some other ways to make it work. So, yeah. yeah, that's good. So you, um, Christian school all the way through high school. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of your uh, your favorite subjects? What were you ex- excelling at academically?
1: Yeah, so uh, I uh, I was always a good student. Um, I I enjoyed all subjects, or I was good at all subjects. Um, I, as I as I was going through it, I would have told you my best subject was math. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would have told you my least favorite subject was, was two things. One was, um, science, uh, typical, some sciences, just because I didn't quite get overly excited. I could get the grade I needed to get, but I didn't get excited about it. The other subject, interestingly, that I, uh, had a love hate relationship with was English. And it, and as I got older, I realized it really depended on the teacher. Yeah, uh, If I had a great English teacher, I really loved English. If I had a and and the teachers I didn't like were the teachers who were sticklers, the teachers who were all about diagramming sentences, mm-hmm. and the teachers who um, who you know were I guess just didn't teach it the way I wanted to. Those those were those were the classes I I probably disliked. Um, the other class that I enjoyed, uh, and and as I got older, I kept enjoying it more and more and more. Were the social sciences? So okay. uh, all history, I I. I you know, I was good at it. And, and I was okay. So I was a straight A student. Um, I got one B in my high school years and it was in drama. And uh, I I ended up being third in my class and, and I never forget. And the drama teacher ended up being my senior AP English teacher. And I remember telling her, it was your drama class, my first year of high school, that ended up costing me being, being <laughs> second valedictorian. Salutatorian. I wasn't going to be yeah. valedictorian, but salutatorian. And she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And and it was just classic the way she was like, you know, okay, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> right. And I was like, and and but what was funny was as I got to my senior year, and I and she also would do plays and stuff. And I did a play my eighth grade year. I was involved in a play my ninth grade year. And then I didn't do any plays because I played basketball for the school and I was trying to do baseball and I wasn't, and I was doing miserably and we would have a school play, but I never did the school play until my senior year. I made a decision. um, Okay. I'm not going to go for the baseball team because I'm not any good and I'm not going to play much. So I, and they, I said, I'll do this. I'll do the school play. And they did, uh, uh, they did uh, revenge or return of the pink Panther. And it was that play that I learned something really important. Uh, because even though I was always pretty good in school and I'd done a lot of things, and I always looked at drama as just something, if it's there, I'll do it. And I would help with a cantata or do a narrator at the church or something. I I did a few different things, and it was just always something I was like, I'll just do it. But when I did that play, um, there was a culmination of a lot of different things that made me realize that I enjoyed performing and Mm. I enjoyed, um, Getting a laugh. I enjoyed seeing a reaction and I enjoyed helping other people enter or participate in what was going on.
0: Now, what do you think it was that changed your senior year as opposed to, you know, other plays and activities you were involved in earlier on?
1: Um, there was nothing dramatic or that, <laughs> that was pun intended. There was nothing <laughs> uh, overly crazy. Um, I, if I remember correctly, um, it, it basically was, I'm going into my senior year and I'm like, Hey, this is my last year. I'd been at this school since kindergarten. Um, and, and I'm like, okay, I, I want this to be, you know, best year. You know, I want it to be a great year. I want to enjoy it. Yada, yada, yada. And I remember distinctly really thinking, do I want to play baseball? Cause I had played and I put played in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, My ninth, 10th and 11th grade year, I was on the baseball team. I barely played. but I enjoyed it. I mean, it was baseball. I'm hanging out with my friends. It was great. I I was a better basketball player than I was a baseball player, but um, I remember going to my senior year and I remember they had not done a play the year before. And they said, we want to do a play. And I remember saying, this is my last shot. This is my Mm -hmm. last chance. Sounds like it'll be fun. And so I went to the tryouts and all I wanted was to get a part. I just wanted to be in a play, so I could say I could do it. And I thought, eh, this will be interesting. And they asked me to do the lead of Inspector Cluzo. And oh, wow. uh, and I at first didn't want to do it. And then as I did it and and the two months of study and, and working with the people I worked with and going through physical comedy and 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 it was and I <clears throat> um I, I'm a fan of, of comedy and I'm a fan of comedians. And even back then I used to love to watch stand-up comics. Um, and the first time when I got a laugh. Uh, in the first major rehearsal that was in front of some crowd, I remember going, Oh, I love this. I mean, it just, there was something about performing. And then I began to look back at everything I had kind of done up -hmm. to that point. And I had been involved in some cantatas and things like that. And I just realized that um, I'm pretty good at it. And that, that, you know, some people were saying some things and somebody wrote me a note. and I just, there were certain things that happened. I just like, okay, this is a skill. This yeah. is not just, I did it. There, there, People are saying some things that is more than just, Hey, you did a good job. I mean, they yeah. were really kind of, yeah. I, I had something. And so uh, that ended up, we'll get to it. As I left college, that helped. That was part of my decision of what I decided to do as my first career, which was, which was kind of a left turn when I was expecting to go right.
0: Interesting. You know, I mean, if I'm somewhat of a, you know, Amateur student of stand up comedy, and just I find it fascinating because it's you know one of the worst fears everybody has is public mm-hmm. speaking, right? And so to get yep. up with a microphone and have to capture the attention of mm-hmm. an audience that you can barely see through the lights, um, uh, they a lot of them really talk about the rush that you get yep. and the immediate feedback, you know, especially for people that do you know, TV or movies or anything where it's recorded and it's played later, they have no idea if it's going to be a hit or a bomb. But when you're up on stage, you know, immediately if that connected. And then from there, you can kind of target, you know, where you're going to take that audience on whatever journey. And then it just kind of feeds on itself. And so it's, it's an absolute rush to do that. So on top of having just some innate skills to be able to do that, it's great that you recognized it and said, okay, there's something here I could probably explore a little more with.
1: Well, and and as a fan of comedy myself, let me be very clear: I am not a stand-up comedian. <laughs> um, what I what I grasped there, though, was the power of per, uh, a little bit of a power of performance, yeah, and and the interaction with the crowd that mm-hmm. the, the feeding off the interaction of the crowd rather than fearing it, um,
0: yeah, was something yeah. that I noticed. That's fantastic. So, out of that, did you start thinking, hey? I might need to study theater and some of the drama and the arts, or were you thinking I'm a straight A student. I've got some pretty good skills in math. I might go down a different direction. What were you thinking? Yeah. so
1: so uh, when I was a senior in high school, so a couple things, so obviously you're trying to figure out where you want to go to school. So uh, I, at that moment in time, uh, if you had asked me what I would want to do, I would say that I wanted to be a coach uh, and a, and I figured basketball coach because that's what I had played. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball or baseball coach. And, and I wanted to, in order to do that, I probably would need to become a teacher. Uh, I was the son of a teacher, uh, a teachers, um, kind of knew it, felt comfortable in school, figured that was probably what I was going to need to do for what I wanted to do. I will say in finishing that play, there was a small period of time and my high school English teacher, she actually said, you, you could pursue this. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her, um, I'll always enjoy acting. I'll always enjoy doing stuff like that and performing. Mm-hmm. But I remember telling her, I don't think I can make a living at it. So I thought, uh, and, and I guess here's my little first piece of advice. It's, you, you know, just because you're passionate or skilled or good at something doesn't mean it has to be your job. Mm-hmm. I have been able through my adult life to find multiple opportunities and multiple chances. And in fact, I see some of my two main careers, I saw the performance aspect of it and kind of really enjoyed that and found opportunities for that uh, through what I did. So um, so anyway, college, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm deciding What I'm going to do. And, you know, people didn't apply to as many colleges as they do now. Uh, Some people did, but most of the times you applied to a couple different colleges. Uh, And so, two things number one, uh, I had been a lifelong fan of Georgia Tech. Um, which shows that I'm a glutton for punishment um, <laughs> because growing up in Georgia with all the rednecks and the rabid bulldog fans and to be a tech fan, two things yeah. are true. One, you don't win all that much. Uh, yeah. And two, you get ridiculed yeah. a lot. Um, uh, so I here I was, did, did well in school, pretty good at math you know, or good at math and other things. And I thought, you know what, I'll apply to tech. And my thinking was, I'll go to tech for at least a year, I'll get to go to all the football games, all the basketball games. I'll get to say I got accepted. Mm-hmm. I can live at home where we lived on 285. I could probably commute. Yeah, And and I would get my freshman stuff out of the way. And then I'd go get a teaching degree because Tech didn't offer a teaching degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I also applied to uh, a Bible college. Uh, and I was looking at a couple other colleges. Uh, my acceptance letter came to Tech. And so I pretty much made my mind up. I'm going to be able to live at home, commute to Tech, go to all the games I had, a, I had another friend of mine from my class who was going to tech and I was like, all right, I got it. This is what I'm going to do. And, yeah. and then I'll figure out during my freshman year what I'm going to do after that. <clears throat> so a funny thing happened on the way to the end of my freshman year.
0: Now, uh, did you when you started at tech, did you select a major? At I did.
1: I was an undeclared science major, which okay. I, did to- I did totally as a joke because I was like, I'm not going to be a science <laughs> major. So I'll just pick whatever I want. And I was literally going through a catalog of a couple of different colleges I was looking at for their teaching degree. And I was picking the the intro to English and the, and the history. So I was making sure I was getting, you know, my, my so tech did quarters back then, three quarters. Mm-hmm. And my first two quarters were all like psychology and history. And and, and there was, uh, I took a calculus and I took, you know, so I took some, you know, I took a math and I took an English and I took a history, everything that was going to, I was going to transfer everything. Mm-hmm. And and I knew it would transfer because it was tech. Yeah. So um. So I was prepping to make sure that I wasn't wasting my money because I was paying my way through school. Yeah. I wasn't going to waste my money on on classes that uh, that I didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to take stuff that only was at Tech and wasn't at another college. And at the end of my second quarter, um, there came this announcement that Georgia Tech was starting a new program, and it was called. Uh, it was a Bachelor of Science. And it was called History, Technology, and Society, HTS. And it was in the Ivan Allen College of Management. And I remember being intrigued by it because I had gotten to know a couple of the history professors and I really liked the history classes, my first couple ones that I took at tech. And I liked, and I started kind of reading what this degree was going to be. And it was going to be a Bachelor of Science, which is not a Bachelor of Arts. Um, And it was going to be a lot of concentration of history, philosophy, sociology. Um Psychology, and then some math and some science and some you know some tech stuff, management and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. but uh, and I remember going, Wow, I could stay at tech. And yeah, and I, and I really was kind of debating what to do because if I wanted to be a teacher, I had to get a teaching degree. Or if I got another degree, I could get a certificate mm-hmm. and I would have to take the teaching classes my first year of teaching. So I, yeah. could, I could get a degree and then I would have to get a certificate. So um, here's my little piece of advice uh, to your listeners. There are times in your life, and, and I'm, I'm a man of faith. Uh, I'm a man of the Christian faith. I'm not here to preach to anybody, although I'd be happy to talk to you about it if anybody wants to. But I will tell you this. Um, one of the things I've learned from my faith is there's a scripture that says there is wisdom in many counselors and everybody listening to this, who's the voice, who are the voices in your life that you really would give some serious weight to because you understand them to be wise and you, you would trust what they say to you. Um, because this was one of the pivotal moments in my life and it was my mother who uh, my parents were wonderful parents, uh, did a great job of raising us. And one of the things I remember, and especially as I got older, and as I heard my friends talk, one of the things I so appreciated about my parents was there were two things that I would tell you about my parents. Number one, if I needed them, they were there and would do anything they could to help me. But also I would say, number two, they worked really hard to let me live my life. Uh, People used to always ask me, oh, your dad's a musician. Did he really want you to get into music? I was like, he was always willing to teach me, but he never forced me. He asked us strongly to take at least one year of piano. But when I told you that I stopped, Mm -hmm. I went to him and I said, I think I'm done. He was like, okay, great. He said, you know, I appreciate, you know, he told me what I did well and what he liked, but he just, he let me make my own decisions. They never pushed me into sports. They never did this. And one of the things that used to frustrate me as a teenager is I would go, Hey, I've got this decision or I was thinking about this and I'm not sure about that. And my mom would go, well, what do you think? What what, do do you want to do? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm asking you, what do you think I should do? She goes, well, what do you think you should do? And I'm like, well, I think I should do this. She goes, well, that sounds good to me. No, no, I'm asking your opinion. (laughs) And so with that backdrop, I literally came to them and I said, Hey, there's this new degree. And I, I they knew I was interested in teaching and wanted to coach. I didn't broadcast, it wasn't like I know what I want to do, but mm-hmm. they kind of knew where I was leaning and we had good conversations about it. And I and I remember saying, There's this degree, and you know, I really like tech and I'm enjoying it and it's challenging. And I, you know, my I got a couple of friends there and I'm meeting some people. And and I said, but I wouldn't, I would take this degree and I would still have to go get some more classes before I could teach or as I started teaching. And my mom gave the best piece of advice and I said it to her grave. It was the best piece of advice she ever gave me. And she gave me a lot of good advice. And this is basically a quote. She said, Stephen, if you get a degree from Georgia Tech and that, that paper says Georgia Tech, she goes, I don't care what the degree is for. She said, no one will ever sneeze at a degree from Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. That was her quote. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the paraphrase meaning, you know, it doesn't matter what the degree is. It's tech. So it'll yeah. carry some weight. It'll carry some credibility. And then you can decide the next steps as you need to. Yeah. So so, um, so I made the decision to stay at Tech and to get my degree as Bachelor of Science in History, Technology, and Society. Um. And it was, it was one of the best decisions I ever made, not because tech changed me or, you know, it was a few different things. Number one, I met my wife at tech, so that was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, tech taught me how to think critically. Uh, Number three, tech taught me confidence in my own thinking ability um, and gave me confidence to, you know, that I, I'm comfortable with, with how I think. Um, and number four, uh, tech taught me how to research, yeah, <clears throat> which turned out to be good, especially for my second career. So, um, so that's, so I, I decided to go to tech. I commuted to tech, which is weird. All four um, years, all four years. Yeah. Um, largely because I was paying my way through and yeah. my parents cut me a deal. They said, we can't give you any money for college, but they said two things. My mom said, they said, you can live here, uh, rent free. And my mom said, if you're home for dinner, I'll feed you. Uh, and then they said, um, uh, well, they would cover half my car insurance. So those, those were the two, two gigs that I got. So living at home saved me about six grand a year at that point in time on, yeah. uh, expenses. Um, it was a different experience because I, I usually was working in the afternoon and evening. So I would, I, most of my classes were morning. So I would, you know, go to tech. I, uh, and, and I would sometimes hang around, but I never got the whole student life and nightlife. Yeah, um, because it was a financial decision.
0: Yeah, it's trade-offs, right? Yeah, but right. I think because I I commuted, I commuted for two years. So I was okay. in the dorm my freshman year, moved home. Uh, my parents lived in Riverdale's, where I went to mm. high school. Uh, so sophomore and junior year, I commuted, and then my senior year, I'm like, I need to have at least one year <laughs> before you know I have to start working. I want to have a little taste of what you know college. I, I mean I that. You know, my freshman year in a dorm was definitely an initial taste, but I, I struggled academically. I mean, it was a brutal year, and I was, I was looking to transfer for different reasons because I, right. you know, was going to transfer before I failed out. But um, yeah, so I, I totally get it. I mean, it's it was very cost effective to go to tech. It was not expensive at all for right. the for the degree you got and the education you right. got. I was going to ask you this though. So for a brand new major like HTS. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking coming out of college that you could do with that? Because everything's brand new, right? Sometimes right. you're almost thinking or creating your own, your curriculum, basically, right? So what were you oh, thinking yeah. it was going to yeah, happen?
1: That, yeah, that was, there was a lot of fun to be had yeah. there. By the way, I'm i i am not on a plaque anywhere, but I was the third ever graduate of the HTS program, which is still in existence, by the way. <laughs> so I'm pretty proud of that. And you were
0: third coming out of high school too. So the number three has got something, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> um
1: yeah, so it was me and another guy where the second and third, the quarter before some guy had been the first ever graduate. So wow. um so I was um I was kind of looking at, at what I was gonna do next. And again, all through that, pretty much all the way through, I was looking at um, I'm gonna get this degree and then I'm gonna find a job teaching somewhere and, mm-hmm. and I'll go get my certification by taking a, a few education classes out a year to do it. And that's what I and I was gonna try and find a job as a coach. While I was in college. Um, I think you ask some of your, and listen to some of your past, uh, um, interviews. I know you ask about first job. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, one of the things that, that i I am very unabashedly a, a fan of is I think people should get a job as early as they possibly can. Uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of teenagers working. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of just getting jobs and, and learning what it is to put in a good day's work. Um, I, my very first job, I was 13 years old uh, in the summer at my school. We were hired by the maintenance man to do summer, to work over the summer. And we cut the soccer field and we put in steps to the soccer field. We cleaned, uh, we painted offices. We, we did, did repairs. We did, I mean, we did hard labor. And it was hard. It was a hard job. Yeah, I had a, I also worked at Chick-fil-A in high school. And then when I was in college, my mom made a joke to somebody one time who said, oh, you're working in college. What, What? where are you working? And my mom said, it's more better to ask him where he isn't working. Um, <laughs> because I still worked at Chick-fil-A. I also got a job at a concrete plant, closing it down, uh, and telling the drivers when to come back the next day. I, I ran my own I was a baseball card collector and I ran baseball card shows on the weekends to make some extra money where yeah. I sold my collections and I bought and sold cards. Um, I learned Always about, saying, uh, well, I learned the value of buy low, sell high, which works in, I mean, I, I, that was something that was kind of ingrained in me. Uh-huh. Um, I, I did a lawn mowing business. I worked with a lady in our church who made gourmet cakes and I would help deliver them for her. And, Uh, you know, I, I worked at a watch store in the mall. I mean, I, I had all these different jobs that I did all through college, but one of the things I really enjoyed doing was here again, going to this small school, my, uh, former, my basketball coach hired me to, uh, because I was in town and because I was around, uh, I got a job coaching, uh, junior high basketball. So uh, my four years in college, I coached uh, junior high girls, uh, and I coached junior high boys. Uh, in fact, the year, my senior year of, of college, or eh, it was either senior year or the year after, um, it was actually my last, my last quarter at Tech was the fall quarter of 95, And one of my classmates had gotten hired as a teacher and he was going to be the girls varsity basketball coach. And I assisted him at his school. So I was coaching a lot. And so I was laying this groundwork to be a teacher and a coach.
0: So that was, that was really the, the really primary focus. You're going to graduate. You'll have this degree. It'll open up some doors for you to go into teaching. You're already doing some coaching things. Now, what, uh, what you mention, yeah you mentioned earlier about your first job so i'm curious to see because you did a lot of different things i think and i want to just touch on that too because I, I i worked a lot as well and i think it really teaches you one The value of hard work and Mm -hmm. what your own paycheck brings you. You know, there's there's definitely a value in that, but also it teaches you early about responsibility, about customers, customer Mm -hmm. service, um, as well as you know coworkers and having a boss and what that looks like. And uh, so, I I appreciated all of those values at the time, but certainly afterwards too. Yeah.
1: Uh, and as you as you built your career right and as yep,
0: you yep. aged and
1: went oh yeah uh, by the way there's a current uh i think it's a progressive uh, yeah progressive commercial with the guy who teaches people to not be their parents <laughs> yeah, that's and right. uh, and uh, you got up early no one cares And one <laughs> of the right. things you the don't even things, know the waiter's name yeah well and one of the things working taught me as a teenager was hey steven no one cares what, what you know <laughs> so, sometimes Shut up. Put your head down. And just do the job. Right? Yeah. I, we're 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 uh, we're a society that thankfully everybody has heard. Like you know, everybody's talking and everybody's posting. And I do think one of the things uh, younger generations need to be told is no one cares. Just yeah. just do the job, right? So there are times to make your voices heard. There are also times you just put your head down and do the job because we're yeah. just, I, I just got to get this Chick-fil-A sandwich out the door. I just mm-hmm. got to get the concrete trucks done.
0: So. Yeah. So um, yep.
1: All right. So uh, so here's what happened. Um, the, uh, the other lesson I would tell people is, so I, I was going through my professional, you know, being a student and getting ready uh, f- for what I wanted to do, but co- uh, co- coinciding with that, I'm attending church um, and I'm attending the church I grew up in and I, uh, we did something called youth group and they still exist today. They're a little different now, but when I was growing up, the youth group was basically uh, teenagers kind of having their own space and their own time. And they had their own pastor, uh, a youth pastor who would basically kind of organize things. And and part of it was to keep kids out of trouble. Part of it was to help them build a foundation of their own faith. Part of it was, you know, again, Attracting families who had teenagers and attracting teenagers from the community to just come and let's build relationships. It's kind of a safe space to be yourself, but also Mm -hmm. we're going to have this foundation of faith. So um, my entire, the five years I was from, or six years from sixth grade through, through when I graduated, I had the same youth pastor. Uh, he had come in right before I got into the youth group, and uh, so he was the youth pastor who stayed there for five years. So I had one main influence spiritually from the church in my life during that time period. And then I was still attending that church while I was going to tech. And literally the year after, uh, the year after I graduated high school, um, I'm still there. Was no college ministry at my church, so. If you were a college student and you stayed at home, you either didn't go to church or you kind of helped with the youth group. I wasn't trying to hang around and still be a teenager, but I was willing to help. Yeah. And um, then the the almost that first year at some point in that first year, our youth, our youth pastor left. He went to be a senior pastor um, in South Carolina, and so they asked the youth leaders to kind of help run the youth ministry while they looked for a youth pastor. And so I did that. Um, and that lasted about three, six months. And then the youth pastor comes in and, uh, wonderful youth pastor did a great job, but he was only there for two years. So while I'm in college, I go through two different periods in my church where I'm helping with the youth ministry mm-hmm. and we have no youth pastor. Um, and the first time, uh, I'm kind of just, I'm 19 and I'm just, I'm just helping. I'm, I'm yeah. the guy with energy and I'll do whatever he asked me to do. Yeah. And I helped the new youth pastor for the 2 years he's here and and I'm kind of enjoying working with students in church. And then he leaves and now there's this period and they basically ask me and two other people to basically run the youth ministry while they look for the next youth pastor. And this is my junior year in college. Oh wow. And I began to notice something that I was pretty good at performing uh-huh. I was pretty good at organizing a crowd. I was enjoying the creative outlet of what are we going to do next? And if I could compare it to comedy again, it was almost like a late night show, not that the kids were there to watch, but what are we going to do that's different? What are we going to do that's creative? What are we going to do that's weird? What are we going to do that that's going to make them go, I can't believe we did that. And then yeah. the parents would go, I can't believe you did that. Um, but not to the point where they wanted to arrest us. So, yeah. you know, all that kind of enjoyment. Um, and, and why, so, so I'm ready to be a teacher, but I'm also really enjoying this aspect of, of, uh, of church ministry.
0: Oh, well, um, what a great opportunity because not everybody gets a chance to sort of create something new like right. that, especially at a young age. Right. right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, so then they hire the next youth pastor. I tell that youth pastor, this has been great, but I'm getting serious with my girlfriend. We're about getting ready to get married. I'm going to step away. Um, and that lasted for about three months. And <laughs> I, I kind of got dragged back in a little bit. And 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 then one other interesting thing happened when this youth pastor was was doing this uh, or was, was getting hired. I began to go, oh, I see what he's doing there, but I would have done it this way. Oh, I yeah. see why he did that. And I like that, But if it were me, I would. so now I'm thinking like a leader. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not saying anything to anyone. I'm not complaining, but I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm seeing how I would do that. And so I now begin to realize there's this little conflict of, I don't think I want to be a teacher. i I think I might want to be a youth pastor, yeah. and And I had said at various times in my life that I was open to doing ministry and and going into church ministry. But I really wanted to coach and I really wanted to, to, um, and I guess I wanted to teach. And so here again, wisdom and many counselors, my my parents said, you know, we're Christian school teachers and that's a very different thing. You're talking about being a coach and maybe being a public school teacher. They said, you should talk to, and there was a gentleman who was a good friend of theirs and he had gone to the church. He actually had been my, you know, brigade leader when I was a little kid and I asked to speak with him. And I said, I I want to talk to you about going to being a teacher and and getting involved in public school system. And he did a wonderful thing. He gave me about an hour of his time. He asked me some great questions that I wasn't ready for. I got to drill him about what his life is like, what's it like, and, and just kind of behind the scenes of being a teacher. And he got to the end of it. And unlike my parents who would stand back and let me make my own decisions, this this nice man said, I, I do want to speak something to you. And he goes, and you don't have to do this, but I, he goes, I just, he goes, Stephen, I've known you since you were, you know, eight years old. And he said, I, "I I just think your personality and your giftedness, he said, you have a creativity that I think the public school system would stifle. Yeah. And he said, I'm sure you'd be a great teacher. He said, I just see that creativity needed more in ministry. And that kind of stuck with me and and through some other things and some prayer. And but mainly the opportunity that I had to kind of run a youth ministry, I made a decision right near the end of my senior year at Georgia Tech that I was like, I, th- I think I'm gonna go into ministry. Hmm. And so I completely pivoted yeah. um, and got to have a great joke that I would tell people in my next in my first career as a youth pastor when people would say, What Bible college did you go to? I would say, <laughs> George. I'd say Georgia Tech, and they'd give me this puzzled look, and I'd go, they got a fantastic theology department. And they'd really look at me, and I'd go, I'm just kidding. I was a history major. And then they'd, then they'd go, what?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's great. But it's, you know, it's almost like you've had an internship if you're comparing it to other students that have decided they want to go into consulting or into medicine or whatever the case is, right? You've, you've kind of seen that on the grounds, how things worked, And I think um, that one teacher was spot on about the creativity. There's, you know, you, uh, my wife's a teacher. And so I've seen her, she spent 20 years, you know, in the, um, in the private sector, you know, working in, in corporations and then moved into teaching and it's a whole different mindset, you know, and there is, there's a structure that's curriculum that's mandated by this County or by the state. Right. And then there are parents that you have to sort of work with, with their right. students. And there's, there's a box that you really can't get too far out. Um, you can, you can insert your personality in different ways with projects, right. but overall pretty structured and yet, yeah, that, so that's that was really good advice. I I, uh,
1: I would tell people um, one of the things you should probably kind of figure out about yourself is: Are you very good? Are you a are you good at taking instruction from other people, or would you rather, you know, build it yourself? Would you rather, um, you know, what what kind of show intrigues you, or or what kind of are you? I'm, I'm intrigued by dual survival. You know, where they stick you out there and you just trying. To, now I couldn't do it yeah but myself but but my work career I've really enjoyed being left alone and going this is what we expect now go do it yeah um and what's funny is my wife is 100% the exact opposite she's like I I hate I would hate that what I want is tell me what you want me to do and still leave me alone but I'll do it whatever you ask me to do I'll do it Yeah. Um, And I, the more, the better, the more instruction of how to do it, the better. And I'm more like, I wonder if I could do this different. I wonder Uh, if I could change it this way.
0: So, so so you graduate tech um, full bore into the youth pastor building out the ministry. Um, How was, how is doing it full-time different than doing it part-time?
1: So first of all, when I made that decision uh, I couldn't, uh, I had to uh, I had to find a church to, to hire me. Uh, and that told Oh, about so this
0: me, wasn't, this wasn't the same church that you were kind of subbing for.
1: No. So gotcha. when I was, when I was helping, they, they hired this new youth pastor. And okay. so uh, he was there to stay. Um, and so I was looking for where, where am I going to go full-time? And in the meantime, I had to get a job Yeah. Uh, and I was getting ready to get married. So um, I was able to, uh, I was able to find some work And I was actually able to intern uh, part-time at a church, kind of helping while also helping at my church. So I I was doing a lot of youth ministry, and I was staying involved in it. Uh, I was still coaching, which is funny. One of the reasons why I felt most comfortable to get into youth ministry and to kind of walk away from coaching was I had coached for about five years. And so I was like, I've gotten to coach a little bit, and I hoped I would continue to do that. So I was getting myself prepared and getting my resume out there. And and I guess the uh, the uh, the thing I would tell people is um, there are times we need to be very very patient.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I there were a lot of fits and starts. There were multiple interviews. There were uh, in, in in youth ministry you would go candidate, uh, you would go and actually spend a an evening. I actually went to a church locally. I was hoping to stay local, um, and went to a church locally. We thought it went very well and we found out it didn't go well, or they didn't like as, as much as we thought we did well. Mm. So there's all kinds of, you know, there's, there's fits and starts and failures along the way. And while that's happening, um, I'm working as a, as a customer service, uh, you know, I'm working in customer service for a, a phone company, uh, and, you know, trying to, to build my marriage uh, with my wife. Um, and so, it from the time I graduated until uh, when we started, it, it was about a year and a half. Oh, wow. Um, and there was a, it was, it took a little while. So, yeah. um, so that was there's a dry period uh, and, it, and it's not going to happen right away. And I, there was no internship from tech's program to get into youth ministry. So yeah. Did, did, to, you question,
0: did you question your choice in that year and a half? Or did you always say, you know what? Uh, it's just a matter of time. I'm going to trust God through this process. And in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with picking up jobs here and there. It's kind of what I've been doing for a long time.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, they, that's a great point. I, I, I did what I was used to, just, mm-hmm. you know, hustle and make money. You know, do what I need to do to survive. Uh, meanwhile, my you know, I get married. My wife uh, finds a, a good job, and, and we're doing okay. We're we're handling our money well, and and you know, we're not getting into debt or anything like that. I graduated with very little debt, so we're we're in good shape. And I just figured the right opportunity would come along. Uh, just needed to to find it. And again, it, it was probably the fourth or fifth significant interview or candidate uh, position that that made the. that, that ended up being the first position. So uh, in uh, 1996, we go to, or excuse me, 1997, we moved to Portsmouth, Virginia, uh, which is uh, part of Hampton Roads right outside Norfolk and uh, Virginia beach. And we go to a, uh, uh, the Alliance church of Portsmouth, Virginia. And that was my first uh, full-time position in youth ministry. I did that for, uh, for 10 years in three different churches. Hmm. Um, three very different churches. We, uh, we lived in Portsmouth, Virginia, which was a Navy town founded in the 1600s. Uh, I was able to be a youth pastor at a church back here in Duluth. Um, so we go back to where we've grown up, Metro Atlanta, you know, Hmm. happening city. And then the last church we worked in, uh, was in Bozeman, Montana, Oh, so wow. I got to live at, near the beach. I got to live in, in the Gallatin Valley and I got to live in Atlanta, three different churches, three very different parts of the country.
0: So were these like uh, you were planting these churches and that's where you were able no. to kind of moved to the next one? Or no, or was it just no. Opportunities?
1: So, so a little bit of opportunity. So uh, my denomination I grew up in was called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, you, uh, I, being a youth pastor, um, I, you know, at Portsmouth, uh, the, the, pr- previous youth pastor had left. They were looking to hire a new youth pastor. They brought me in. Um, What the cool part about Portsmouth was there was a Christian school attached to the church. Uh, I didn't have to teach at the school or anything like that, but I did get to coach. So uh, I got to coach some basketball and I got to coach, I actually got to coach golf, which was kind of cool. So I I got to kind of get that coaching itch. So I ended up coaching like seven or eight years whilst uh, between college and, and my first youth pastor position. The first move was because a position opened up at a church uh, here in the Christian Missionary Alliance that wasn't my home church, but I knew of the church and I knew the youth pastor who was leaving. And I saw it as an opportunity to move back down near family. My mm. wife's uh, mom uh, had been diagnosed with cancer. And mm. so we got an opportunity to move down here. That, that job opened up. Um, and I look back now, and that was 100%. God bringing us here to be here for when my my wife's parents both passed away from cancer three years apart. Hmm. Um, it was also for us to, you know, uh, for my oldest son to get to know his his grandparents. Yeah, uh, my parents and and her father, and um, so there was. That was that was kind of our choice. We we got to a point, and so here's my advice: as you're doing these jobs, um, as you're building your career, I always came to a place, especially in youth ministry, um, where I kind of thought I'm either going to make a commitment for another five years. I, I kind of took it two to three years at a time, and and at Portsmouth we were there four years, and I remember thinking. I'm either going to commit to another two, four, five years, or I need to start looking because I Mm. thought it's about time for me to, to do that. There were some things happening that just made sense. When I came here and the church here, we thought we were going to stay until I was done with youth ministry. And um, it wasn't until they actually let me go because the church was dying Mm. and uh, they didn't have enough to afford two salaries. Yeah. by the way, if you're ever in a board meeting and someone comes in and says, "I think we should assume that at best we're going to bring in a ten percent less than what we brought in last year," that's probably not a good sign. And <laughs> um, yeah. should go up after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so after that fourth year or those th- three and a half, so so as I I kind of went, "Ooh, we better figure out what we're going to do." And I remember telling my wife after you know after this job was taken from us. I said, you know what? I I I had always said I wasn't going to be in ministry my whole life. I did not think it was a lifelong calling, which again got strange looks. By the way, I'm I'm your guest. We got a lot of strange looks. What Bible <laughs> college did you go to? Georgia Tech. Right. What? What? They don't do theology. No. What'd you study? What engineering did you study? I was a history major. What? Right. And then I'm with pastors. So uh, when were you called to lifelong ministry? I don't believe my call is lifelong ministry. What? Right. <laughs> right. So I get, get a lot of weird looks. So I remember telling my wife, I, I've got, I can do that. I, I don't want to get out of ministry yet. I, so I think I got one more church where do you want to go? I said, you know, we've done, done this for about eight years. I, I actually have a little bit of a name. Uh, I, some people know me. So if you could go anywhere and she was like, I'd love to live in the mountains. So I sent, I sent a resume to the Rocky mountain district. They had a church in Bozeman who was looking to hire their first youth pastor. Wow! And uh, so that's, so that's how that kind of worked
0: out. So uh, at the kind of the tail end of your, your Bozeman, Stint, um, were you starting to think, okay, my next move is going to be out of the church into doing something different? And if so, what? how were you thinking through other career choices and in industry?
1: So there's a, yeah, I, I was starting to think that. Um, actually, the Bozeman move was a little bit more of a, I was building a youth ministry, but I also was associate pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to do it a little bit longer. I didn't go out on my timing. And that was one hundred percent my fault, and is another conversation for another day. Um, but I went i had been thinking the last year or a uh, year and a half of what I wanted to do, and um, I was thinking—I was thinking in business. Um, mm-hmm. I had—I had run my own, you know, I'd run little side hustles and, and stuff like that. Um, and I was—and I was trying to figure out what it was going to be, and and so here we go back to. Uh, one of the other things that had been developing on my life was, I had always been fascinated with the world of investments, um, dating back to my senior year in high school when, in an economics class, we studied the market and we got a, we got on our Tandy 180 computers and mm-hmm. typed in. We did a little stock game that was ridiculously uh, cheap and monochrome and. And we had a Wall Street Journal that we would look at once a week and we picked our stocks. I had kind of become fascinated and just in, just engulfed myself in learning how the stock market works. And I, I trace it back to, I was always fascinated with the value of things. I was being a baseball card fanatic. I always was fascinated. I watched baseball cards just skyrocket and in the late 80s, early 90s, and and then watched them plummet because of supply and demand. And I just became fascinated with how money works. Mm-hmm. Um, I began to read. Uh, first thing that got me really interested in investments myself was reading Peter Lynch, mm-hmm. one up on Wall Street. Yep. Um, I discovered Jim Cramer very, very early on in CNBC in 2005, 2006, um, and uh, read his book, Walt, uh, Confessions of a Wall Street Addict. Uh, and then read some of his other books that he did, Mad Money and other stuff, Uh, began to read about uh, traders from history, Jesse Livermore, and just became fascinated with the idea of stocks Um, and actually started to invest a little bit of my own money. Um, uh, And so concurrently, as I'm doing all that, I'm now coming to the end of my my career in youth ministry, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I figure... Uh, since it kind of happened without my, uh, not in my timing, uh, I decided, um, uh, well, I got to do something. So I got back into, uh, sale. I did sales and in, in phone systems and I worked at the Bozeman airport for a little while. And, and I started deciding to look into a career as being a financial advisor, um, called a bunch of different companies and, uh, Landed on Edward Jones uh, for two different reasons. One, they were the only company that paid you while you studied to get your Series 7 and Series 66 uh, in order to be an advisor. Mm -hmm. And two, they were kind of known for taking people from other careers, especially teachers, pastors, and salespeople in business. Hmm. Um, almost every other company I looked at, they were like, you need a degree in finance or, um, they were going to start you in the call center. Uh, you know, so there were these kind of different career paths and Jones was the, the first one, the only one I found that will pay you to while you study. And then you, uh, um, you sink or swim.
0: Yeah. Uh, based on. Cause what you, you do. cause you can't trade. Um, until you get those certifications completed, right? Correct. You,
1: yeah. I cannot yeah. you cannot handle someone else's money mm-hmm. um, without either yeah, one of the series or um, uh, series yeah, all the different series that you have.
0: So how long does it take you to get those certifications?
1: So with Edward Jones, uh, so, so I want everybody to picture this this nice uh, wonderful little thing. So Edward Jones hires you, um, and at that time, uh, they were getting. Uh, they they told us they get twenty five thousand uh, applications a year, and they hired about twenty five hundred advisors. And when they hired those twenty five hundred advisors, they put you in a ten week, and they they don't hire them all at once. But you get in this ten week course, and all you do all day is you're supposed to study, and they go lesson by lesson. And at the end of that ten weeks, you go sit for your Series Seven license test. The pass fail rate at that point in time was um, more than fifty percent of the people who take the test fail it. As far mm-hmm. as industry wide, um, with Jones, I think their pass rate was uh, like sixty five or seventy percent. And I mean, they are you're just you're you're sitting on group calls and people are asking questions. They're going over. And they're teaching you, you know, how to, you know, sell limit orders and buy limit orders and how bonds work and uh, and just all the ins and outs of the securities business and and you know Finra and the Securities and Exchange Act and and the uh, all the different Glass-Steagall Act and all this stuff. And um, at the end of ten weeks, and you're and you're taking tests as you go, and they're telling you, hey, the grades you're getting, if you're getting good grades, you're getting 80s and and 85s and 90s, you should be fine you should be fine yeah um so I'm living in Bozeman at the time and in order to take the test I had to drive to Billings I had to drive two hours to go take the test and I will never forget it's a it's about a it's about a three to four hour test I think <clears throat> and I will never forget sitting in that desk chair and going um if I fail this I don't know what I'm going to do uh, yeah I, I, it's, it's, there is no, there is no, there is no try, do or do not.
0: Yeah. A lot riding on those three hours, right? Oh yeah.
1: And I yeah. remember at the very end and I've, I've checked my answers and I've done, you know, I felt, I feel pretty confident, but I remember, I, I distinctly remember looking at that submit button and going, <laughs> okay. And I, and I, and this is the thought I had, my life is going to change fundamentally. Yeah. Yeah as soon as I click this.
0: Yeah. One way or another. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and so, uh, so I passed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And uh,
1: that was a wonderful uh, drive back. Um, And so then I started uh, with Edward Jones, the financial advisor um, uh, and stayed with them five years, went independent uh, after five years and have been independent for the last uh, eight years. Um, And I, what do you want to know about that career? <laughs> well, so here,
0: here's one question I was going to ask you is because you had you done a lot of things in college and but you sort of had this, you know, maybe it was kind of a, a hidden passion for investing, but you sort of knew the value of money. You knew how like back to your baseball card analogy, right, where there's value assigned to that markets kind of go up and down based on supply and demand. Did you ever think about studying finance or accounting or anything in college and going down that that investing or uh, financial counseling um, career coming out of college or was that just more like a it's a hobby I'm focused on teaching and coaching and that's yes. what my real passion right. is okay yeah
1: I, I had no desire to do accounting and finance um, because I wanted to be a teacher mm-hmm. um, I, I you know I took an in I took a I, I took a few economics classes I took a yeah I th- I'm sure I took an introductory but there was nothing beyond introductory and I just was interested in doing my own Investing, yeah. Um, One of the things that kind of led me to maybe look at a career is I remember distinctly in Bozeman, we went to a ministerium with other past with other pastoral teams from around the district, and I remember in the room of youth pastors as we're like playing Risk and goofing around and and you know hanging out after one of the sessions. I remember like three different guys came up to me and were like, Hey, uh, what are you doing with investing? Cause they knew I invested and they were like, what do you think about this? And I was looking at <laughs> buying Tim Horton stock and way. And I, and I had these long conversations and, and I remember going, I am way more passionate, way more informed about this than the typical person.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so, filed that and, away well, and just knew there might be something yeah, down the road. So,
1: so oh, so over my 10 years of youth ministry, I kind of began to go, I think, and here again, much like acting, and not that I'm an actor, but, but what I, what I, I listened to what other people said about me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I probably, as I've gone through life, I didn't listen to what they said about me that they didn't like. And I probably should, cause I could yeah. learn from that. But I, here was, people were going, you're really good at that. People were saying, um, you know, that, that might be a gift there. So I, I kind of, I, I started listening to them and then looked at what it would take to do the career. And that's funny because I thought, oh, I got to have a finance degree. And they're like, nope. And and I remember when I started interviewing at Jones, they went, you do realize this is a sales position. And I was like, okay. And they, they go, we want everybody to know that. This yeah. is more about sales than it is about investing. Turns out I've survived and built my career because of what I know about investing and I can sell it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting way to do it for those that aren't necessarily... Um, that aware of that, that job, it is, you know, certainly more focused on sales and matching your client's needs up to a product. Right.
1: Well, so yeah. And, and what I've what I've come to believe as I've done this is um, you can sell in order for you to make the sale or you can sell to serve the person you're selling to. Mm -hmm. And I've chosen, I I chose fairly early on, that I I was gonna try to outserve other advisors and that was going to win my that was gonna keep the clients I had Mm -hmm. and that was going to lead to referrals and that was going to come across to clients that I was, was pitching to and talking to and trying to get them to you know, my job is to try and get people to talk about money. Well and and talk about their money. And yeah, that that is something a lot of people don't want to talk about. So yeah. here, you you have to be able to engage and perform and get them involved.
0: And I imagine there's also, I mean, having experience as a youth pastor and and ministering to people about a number of things that I'm sure you've seen over the years. There's, you know, some people it's really really difficult to talk about money. Maybe there's bad decisions they've made, or they don't have enough, or they're worried about. And some of these things are tied into other life aspects. And so yeah. as an advisor you're having to probably navigate those waters to really uncover what it is that this person needs. You can't just look at it. You're 45. You've been married for 20 years. you got two kids. Here's the package you need. Boom. Right. It's more of an individualized thing. Right. This is okay. Where are you right now? Where do you want to be and start talking about some of those things, too? So, yeah, I can see where, you know, this is really a nice fit for you that combines a lot of things that you've done over the course of your career. But what do you like most about your job?
1: Uh, the thing I love, uh, so a couple things, first of all, uh, uh, investing is an unsolvable math equation that will never be solved because it involves human psychology and emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, that just the, what happens in the market on a day-to-day basis just fascinates me. Um, and I get, I enjoy that. I get to look for, it's a little bit like a treasure hunt. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit like finding, you know, understanding the value of things. There's nothing better than buying something low and watching it go high, and and selling it high and talking to clients and they go, "Man, do that for me about ten more times. That'd be great." Yeah, um, that's a that's a fantastic thing. The other thing I love is when somebody thanks you for serving. Um, mm-hmm. That I can, you know, I can live off a good compliment for a long time. And when people say things like, uh, I, I have one client who. Uh, Edward Jones you, you build your you build your book of business by going out and, and they don't do this much anymore but uh, you go out and knock on people's doors and mm. you do that to build your you build you do that to build a prospect base you see who wants to talk about money who has money mm. uh, and is willing to talk to you about it and then you just try to keep in touch with them and you find the moment where they're willing to make an investment. And there's a guy who's still a client of mine. 13 years later, I met him during my, uh, when I was door knocking before I became licensed. Um, and he started with nothing. He he was in his, he was, you know, over 35 mm-hmm. and he's like, I haven't really saved anything. I'm done. Okay. He's got a house. He's got a good job. And he's like, I really haven't done anything. And we started with hundred bucks a month and he's still with me. And we were just talking about it last week. And he goes, he goes, Steven, I'm, I'm just so glad I, I've gotten to know you. And I, I keep telling him, you are the one making the good decisions. I'm just trying to help. And he's like, well, look at what we, you know, and he's, he's looking at being able to retire. He's looking at, he's now got some assets. In fact, we joked about, he started in 2008, 2009, and he saw his account go down by 30%. But as he said, you know, who cares? It's only a thousand bucks. I'm just getting started. I'm looking at it like I'm buying all this stuff low. Now yeah. he's like, there's now enough. I'm scared if it goes down. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a good problem to have. So yeah. So helping people and, and serving them is is just a wonderful and, and and getting thanked for that is just, I mean, that's 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 a bonus.
0: Yeah. Those are those are great intangibles that not every job has, as you're well aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, how do you get started with um, with your radio and your podcasting (laughs) endeavor? Is it kind of like I did where it's sort of a little, little side curiosity. Let's see where this thing goes. Did you, did you kind of look at this as uh, an avenue to sort of like build some, some aspect of your brand or tell me a little bit about how you got started? Yeah.
1: So, uh, so first of all, let's go back to Georgia tech. Um, One of the things I got to do my senior year there was uh, I, I, got to be on rec radio. I was just going
0: to ask you that. Yeah. So it was
1: one of those. So you moved back to tech kind of for the senior year and I got to get this experience. And I remember going, I want to do something. And I had seen, you know, them advertising. I was like, I'm going to do that. So I, so I got, and I did it. I only did it for a few weeks, but my last quarter, I was able to be on rec radio and I got to do an afternoon uh, jazz show. Um, And I just enjoyed it. And the one piece, the one critique I got from the from the uh, student manager was, he said, uh, "Yeah, you're doing a good job. You're doing fine." Because yeah, I, I think you talk a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Get in line, pal!" Everybody tells me that. <laughs> so, but I enjoyed it, and it was, and at the time, it was me performing again.
0: Yep. yep. Uh,
1: it was me interacting with the public, and so, uh, and I that I enjoyed that. And and I just filed it away, and I was like, boy, I'd love to be in radio, but there's no money in it. There, yeah. you know, it's hard to get a career. Yeah. So so, um, so fast forward, um, we are we have uh, I've started my career at Jones. We moved back down here for me to kind of build that career. Uh, our kids are uh, we got three kids now. They're in school, and I start uh, getting involved. Uh, my my oldest son is playing baseball, rec baseball. And so at the league, uh, two things happen. My wife gets a job at the Gwinnett Braves stadium, mm. uh, helping, helping day, you know, day of, uh, game staff kind of thing. And, uh, she notices this guy coming in and she goes, he is from the park where, where Joshua plays baseball. And so she introduces herself. We, we meet him. His name's Mike Salmon. He is, uh, he's been on uh, local sports radio and he is working with the one Braves to do the pregame. He's doing some play-by-play he's, he's doing pregame scoreboard, stuff like that. So he's, so we get to know him. Uh, She gets to know him through the job and we get to know him through the park because we're like, Oh yeah, there you are. And so we get to know each other Our our sons play baseball together. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we become fairly good friends. And then Mike, uh, asked me, he said, I, I want to ask you some questions uh, about an opportunity I have. So he, he sits me down and he starts telling me about this opportunity called Business Radio X. He's been asked to start the second studio of Business Radio X. Business Radio X is, and, and this is circa 2012, He's, uh, it's an online radio station that also is a podcast. Now at that point, podcast, I go, what's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just coming into its own. Um, and he's, it's more about an online radio station and he's been asked to head up this studio. And so at, and he's at, and he goes, let me tell you about it. He just starts laying out the opportunity. He's like, he goes, I want you to poke holes in it. I want you to tell me what I need to be concerned about. I want you to tell me why this would be a horrible thing for me to do. Or if it's a good idea, you know, and, and, And so he's just getting, he's looking for wisdom in many counselors. Mm -hmm. And as he's talking about it, I'm I'm asking some questions, but I told him at the end of that conversation, I said, Mike, I just need you to know I'm incredibly jealous because this sounds like it would be a ton of fun, you know, talking to business owners, interviewing people. I mean, that would be so much fun. And um, so he asked me to come in and be a guest on one of the early shows and Business Radio X is a for-profit online radio station and podcasting platform, and the way they make money is people come on as guests for free, and then you talk to them about how a show would help them either market and promote their company, create content online, or network in a closed environment through the guests you bring on your show. And so Mike at first had me come on and and I know at first he was wanting me to possibly do my own show, which the running joke we have is financial advisors are incredibly cheap and frugal. That's one of the ways we make money. Right. Um, It's called value, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so then Mike uh, said, he called me up after I had appeared on the show and he said, Hey, I want to try something. And he said, would you come in and co-host with me? And I was like, "Uh, yes. Tell me when and where, you know, (laughs) So he goes, and I don't know if anybody who's watching Princess Bride, but, you know, there's a, there's a good line, little, you know, it's not as funny as the other ones, but uh, when Wesley says, the dread pirate Robert says, good job, Wesley, Uh, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Um, You know, good job today, but go ahead and go to bed and I'll probably kill you in the morning. And Mike said, we'll just do it once. He goes, I just want to try it. And so I came in there and uh, we did a show and we got done and he was like, dude, you missed your calling. He said, you should be on the radio. And I'm like, thanks. Can I come back and do it again next week?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I, I,
1: I kind of was like, I'll come back anytime you want. And so he said, well, I, I we'll probably do it for another week or two. And we just kept doing that. And he he kept going, I'll eventually, you know, you don't, one of these, and he kept saying, well, you don't have to keep coming back. I'm like, Mike, I'm having so much fun. This is so great. And I yeah. was using it to network with business owners. Yeah. So, um, So he never paid me. You know, to do the show, I just, and and he always said, I, he goes, I, I feel like you're adding something to the show. I feel like it's helping. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mike, I'm, and he would always introduce me as Stephen Julian. He goes, Stephen's adv- a financial advisor. He's here to scratch an itch and mark something off his bucket list. That's, a, that's what we decided to tell people. <laughs> and after about two years, then he just like, this is Stephen Julian. He's my co host. He's a financial, he's a, you know, independent financial advisor, but he, uh, he enjoys doing this and I'm like, I'm just here, you know, I just want to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and so here again, I'm getting to perform, I'm getting to interview, I'm getting to interact with the public. I'm getting to, you know, do what I do, which is talk a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and people seem to enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it is kind of blending some of the things you're already doing, which it's hard to really plan that out. You know, and say, okay, here's how my entire career is going to look like, and here's these dots that are kind of random at 25, but they're all going to come together at 45, and and it's going to be this mind explosion of everything that I'm like passionate about, and I'm skilled at, and I've got experience in, and I just love doing, right? But you're you're probably the fourth person that's kind of had this culmination of things where (laughs) they want to do one thing, to do something else, and then things kind of happen, and that 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 path leads them down a, a situation where they've actually were able to combine some of these things that are really amazing. So it sounds like that's something similar.
1: Huh? Well, yeah. And I, and I've been blessed that I, you know, I took one path for 10 years. I've been on another path for 13 years. I, I, you know, I sit with a lot of clients and it's very normal to go, you know, by the way, those are the two main ones. There's also the, I washed cars at the Bozeman airport for enterprise mm-hmm. uh, for six months. I, I sold uh, phone systems uh, for a phone company in Bozeman for six months, I, I watered plants at California Pizza Kitchen and Chili's, uh, and I had a I had a, a, wa- a plant watering route uh, before I got into youth ministry. So I've had a lot of the other kind of I got to do this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but you know there were things to learn there, and there were there were um, it, it taught me what I liked and what I didn't like, and and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Right. Um, and and so the thing with this podcasting and getting to co-host. You know, I started with Gwinnett Business Radio and then out of that have come two other opportunities. I'm, I'm getting to host three other shows. And I remember about a year ago, uh, Stacy and I, my wife and I were talking and I said, you know, I said, I, I don't really make money podcasting. I said, but I meet these other guys in their forties and they play golf every chance they get. And they go hunting every chance they get. And they go fishing. Yeah. I, I just want to talk to people. Yeah. And, and podcasting lets me talk to some really, really great people. Yeah. Podcasting lets me talk to some boring people that I have to work hard to make more entertaining. Mm-hmm. and, and yeah. Podcasting uh, lets me be goofy, and podcasting lets me kind of let out some creativity. And and if I get, and I'm not a stand up comic, but if I can get one little line and get people to laugh, and it's not just sympathy laugh, I'm like, ah, I think I made a joke.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, and and you don't know like who you're going to inspire. And affect in a in a positive way, and and really make a difference in someone's life. And even if it's one person out of you know five hundred or thousand or three thousand people that download these episodes, that's one life that you've impacted, which is more sure. than what you've done if you were just you know out on a golf course or you know binge watching Netflix or whatever you know. So it's I, I find I find the medium really fascinating. I've always been a big fan. I I listened to like a lot of the ESPN podcast early on, and it was nice to have just some free form conversation about a topic or a number of topics that could go on until, you know, that well ran dry instead of, Hey, you know, you like any sort of talk show on TV, you got six minutes, bring your can, you know, message in right. here. You got three right. dishes. You're going to have two commercials in between there and you're not going to get a whole lot out of somebody to really see, you know, do you like this person? Do you respect this person? Do they inspire you or whatever, you know?
1: Well, the best part about podcasts is if you can if you can think of it, there's a show out there. It might not be good, but there's yeah. a show out there that covers your topic. I, so I'll tell you my two favorite uh, early on podcasts. One, there was a show called The Value Guys, and it was these two mutual fund managers. They disguised their voices, and they always <laughs> said it on every episode. They said, it's Friday. It's after hours. We've poured ourselves some drinks, and we're just going through uh, value lines uh, you know, uh, report and we're just finding stocks that intrigue us. We've done no due diligence. We've done, you know, we're just, we're just goofing around. Just winging it, I, yeah. I was fascinated by that show and it would only come out like once every three, they come out of these weird times. They do like five in a row and then they wouldn't be on for six months. Right. And I, I, I ate that stuff up and I, and it, and it taught me, how to think about stocks I wanted to to purchase for myself or for my clients. The mm-hmm. other first podcast other than Gwinnett Business Radio that I lo- that I was on, the other podcast that I started listening to is um, there's a guy named Conrad uh, Thompson who's a huge wrestling, pro wrestling fan. And he did a show with Bruce Pritchard, who is was Vince McMahon's right-hand man for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just talked about pro wrestling in the 80s and 90s, and they started – they would do topics, or they and, and Bruce remembers everything, and Conrad would do these deep dives. And as a guy who grew up loving professional wrestling, and 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 is still kind of involved with it because two of his kids love it, yeah, it, it just would fascinate. Me. And they would do four hour episodes, and I would just have it on in the background, and I'd hear something and go, "What? That's what really happened? Oh my god, that's what behind the scenes? <laughs> I didn't know that." And it just, yeah. got, you know, I, I just and as a history, and I I realize as a history guy, I love the did you know, that you might not know that, the, you know, they yeah. did this. might not know that when Phil Necro won his 300th game, he didn't throw a knuckleball until the last batter of the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's just stuff like that is fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, that's that that definitely makes a lot of sense of how you wound up on Business Radio X and have been so successful and been added to, you know, a couple more podcasts as well. So that's pretty amazing. Well, I... I uh, Yeah, go ahead. Can I pitch him real quick? Definitely. I'll put the links in as well.
1: Perfect. So I want to encourage everybody, Gwinnett Business Radio. It's part of Business Radio X. You can go to businessradiox.com and search for Gwinnett Business Radio or or search Gwinnett Business Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Two others. uh, I'm involved with a podcast with Tiffany Crewman's. She was on the pilot episode of Shark Tank. She has a podcast called Product Genius. Uh, I am the slightly annoying co-host. She jokes that Um, I'm the one that keeps the show moving because otherwise she would get, you know, her ADD would take over and she'd go too far (laughs) down a rabbit hole. Um, and then the third podcast, uh, I'm part of a podcast with a gentleman named Casey Sanders. It's called cards on the table. Uh, we do a, um, uh, we do a, a group where we do a small, uh, index card and on one side is a lie that the world tells us and some questions to get us thinking about it. And the other side is, is some scripture. And we get together as guys, and we just we talk about the lie, and we talk about the truth of God's word, and we just hash it out together. And cards on the table. The podcast is is two guys from two different decades, kind of talking about life uh, as uh, and as far as truth and lies. So that's great.
0: That sounds fantastic, and and definitely piques some curiosity for myself, and I'm sure some others as well. So thanks. I know we we had talked before about those those two and. Uh, our our mutual friend Mike uh, was telling me about your additional podcast. So very cool yeah. stuff. Well, listen, I like to end uh, uh, with a final question for my guests. And if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself?
1: So uh, you've told me that the you know one of the target audiences is, is kind of people uh, maybe around or under twenty five or, mm-hmm. or bef- definitely before thirty. Yeah. You know, because as uh, Planet of the Apes taught us, don't trust anyone over thirty. <laughs> Um, so I I would say a couple things, uh, if I could say something to my younger self or, or, you know, what advice would I give myself? Um, one thing I would say is, uh, pay attention. Um, I, I've, I've always been kind of a deep thinker, uh, and I've always been, um, kind of good at, at kind of laying out plans and planning things, but sometimes I got so focused on what was ahead of me that I didn't pay enough attention to what was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say pay attention, my advice would be, there are some little things that I, I know I missed that could have been wonderful or could have just added up to be wonderful. Um, sometimes we get so focused on our next step or vision and planning and, and that, that I think we miss the beauty of what's right in front of us. Um, And, and I always use the example of holding the door open for someone and just, just some of the, some of the wonderful things as as I've gotten older and I've paid attention to things people say in passing. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, Dave Ramsey on his radio show, Mm -hmm. uh, whenever, whenever uh, I don't know, let's do a test audience uh, to see if Mr. Varnado listens to Dave Ramsey. When someone calls in and, they ask Dave, hey, how are you doing? What does he say?
0: I have not listened to his radio show. I've read a lot of his stuff, but I have not really listened to it. So I don't know. So uh, uh, said, no, no. Yeah, I, let me get It's better than I deserve or something. There like that, you right? go. Yeah. Better than I deserve. How are you doing, yeah.
1: Dave? Better than I deserve. Yep. I, I started a few years ago. I've decided to say that. And I get more like, startled like whoa whoa! And, or i'll get I, just today my son and i were in target and the lady said how are you doing today i said better than i deserve it. she goes amen <laughs> and i was like yep it's a definition of grace she goes i know and so yep. we just it was really <laughs> nice. so pay attention because there yeah. are some there are some big things in front of you and there are some small things that are worthwhile um the other piece of advice uh that i would uh would give myself is uh work hard um you know, I don't want to make political statements, or I don't want to do the typical well, millennials. I'll just say, uh, very little in my life has paid off more than working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, we talked about the tech degree when I was looking for that very first job. I interviewed at a lot of different places just to find try and find something that would pay me a living wage and a, and and you know could get me out there. And I uh, I remember one guy who said. Um, you're not going to be the fit for this job. I want to tell you that. I don't want to waste your time. He said, but I do want to encourage you with something. Uh, and he said, you know, you talked about being, you know, being a tech grad. And he goes, and obviously that matters. Tech is a great school. He goes, but well, let me tell you what I'm most impressed with. He said, I'm most impressed with a young man sitting in front of me who knows what it means to work hard. Mm-hmm. He said, I, he goes, I'm, I hire people and they never worked in their life. They don't know what it means to work hard. So the value of hard work, um, I would remind myself of that because even though this guy told me I worked hard, I, I could work even harder and, and you can always you know, work a little harder. I, I think that matters. Um, and then the last thing I would give myself advice of, it It took me a long time to be comfortable with who I really am. Um, as, a, as someone who enjoyed performance, that fell into uh, being a Pharisee. Putting on faces, putting on airs, uh, faking people out. Um, took me a long time to be comfortable with who I who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we live in a world that, thankfully, I think more and more, and we're more open about letting people be who they are. Yeah. But but I mean, who you really are? Can um, I tell my kids? You need to figure out what you're going to do about God. You're going to figure. You need to figure out how to handle money, and you need to figure out how to deal with other people. Yeah. Those are three very important things. And, and, and the more I got comfortable with really who I am and, and working on me and, and what I need to celebrate and what I need to do better at um, the better I do with other people and the better I do in my journey. So there you go. Those are, those are the piece of advice I would give.
0: Those are great. Those are all great advice. And I think they apply to just about any avenue you can go in as well. So, so, Stephen, I really appreciate your time today. I know we talked about a, a number of things, but I really, uh, really enjoyed getting to know kind of your background, your history and a, a little bit more about, um, you know, just kind of where you, where you, how you got to where you are today. So I'll put the links of what you promoted um, when I published this. And uh, again, I can't thank you enough for your advice and counsel as I started these, this podcast and uh, continue to listen to what you're putting out there for the audience as well.
1: Well, Paul, I'm excited about the show you're doing and uh, just think about the people listening and uh, people are going to get some advice from you. And uh, thanks for uh, for broadcasting this message because uh, it's needed for sure. So thanks for being the
0: leader of that. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.